Welcome to the Hope Frontier Podcast. Hope Frontier is a multimedia platform that dives deep into the Bible, helping you connect God's Word to your life. Check us out on our YouTube channel and HopeFrontier.com. To support our channel, please subscribe and go to our giving page on HopeFrontier.com. Step into your new frontier with hope. Welcome to Hope Frontier, everybody. And today we'll be taking a look at Saul. We'll be looking at how he became king, what was his characteristics, and how he followed God, whether that be good, average, or not so good. And the great thing about looking at Saul is that when we see the very character of Saul, which mainly was that he did what he thought was right and didn't follow God or didn't take the time or initiative to seek out God. God let him do his decisions, which usually backfired, and then it ended up causing him pain. And as we look at our own lives, God will allow us to do things that aren't good for us. God has given us freedom of will the freedom to make decisions and do what we think is best. And Saul is a great example for us because if we don't initiate a relationship with God, if we don't seek out God, we will be in trouble. (laughs) And so before we get into who Saul is himself, we have to take a look at what's happening in Israel. If you remember, this is right after Judges. So there were these cycles where there would be one person who would be leading Israel uh, for a short period of time to bring uh, judgment and to help rescue the people. And then after that, at the same time, we had Eli and his wicked sons. And the people at this time, the people of Israel, and this is in 1 Samuel 8, they decided that they want a king. What they want is they want to be like all the nations around them and have a king. Now, this is an issue because obviously God made Israel unique and special. What Israel is doing right here is instead of following their mission that God gave them, they see and become jealous of what the other nations have, and then in turn, they want that and they forsake God. And we see this a lot in our lives because the devil is very active in our world around us and he will very clearly help make other people successful through wicked or evil means. And then when our sin nature, when we see that success, when we see money, fame at the expense of other people, the selfish uh, desires fulfilled, then part of us wants that for ourselves. And when God wants us to live righteously and holy so then he can bless us, well, it's more difficult. It's hard work. And it's easy for us to do what is evil and then to try to cut corners and succeed in life, which becomes a big problem, obviously, because the more we sin, then the less we're going to be connected to God and we really fall out of his blessing and it really affects our salvation if we distance ourselves from God to the point where we're no longer followers of him. And so this is what's happening in Israel right now. 
they see the other nations around them and they are jealous. They, they really are. And so what God decides to let them do is, fine, if you want a king like everybody else, I'm going to give you a king like everybody else. And we're going to see later how this really gets taken very literally in a lot of senses. But before we do that, we just really have to see here that the Israelite people clearly did not take their mission from God seriously enough. They did not take their role as a priestly nation serious enough to make an impact on their neighboring countries. And, you know, God was their king. God himself was not a human voice box, which the other nations were like. All the other nations had a king who was quasi-divine, whether he was fully divine or semi-divine, it depended on the culture around them, that would speak out on behalf of their pantheon. And so in a way, the people would worship that king. And Israel was unique and different, as you know, because God was their only king, because that was who they were to worship. And they could hear directly from God himself. They didn't need a mouthpiece to speak through to understand the words of God. That was one amazing thing that God had given them. And, you know, we do see this in Genesis 3, right? The same kind of, the same kind of situation happens. God uh, is the king. He knows what is right. He knows what is good. But Adam and Eve decide that they want to be like God. They want to have that power. They want to be able to do what they want, thinking that it is good. And that's exactly what the people in Israel want at this very moment. They don't want to trust God. They want to trust themselves, and they want uh, to make themselves king. And it really does backfire. So before we jump into chapter 9, let's just review really quickly this really important verse from 1 Samuel 8, it's 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So that's the whole setup for everything that we need to know about Saul. So in chapter 9, we're going to meet Saul. And Saul really, really fits this image to the T. So in the beginning of chapter 9, we see here that there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. So we'll just stop right here, okay? And we can already see how this is the author's way of signaling you want what your neighbor's got and you're going to get it. So we can see that the criterion for Saul so far is that he both meets the social standing and social observation of what would be a king. So the first thing is he comes from a certain family. They come from a certain influence. So already it's a, it's a, it's a, like a check in the checkbox here. And then interestingly enough, 
It does say that Saul was the most handsome man, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And the interesting thing about this is that the only times in the Bible so far where the height of someone is so explicitly noted is the enemy nations whom the Israelites fought. We can see this in Numbers 13. We can see it in Deuteronomy 1.28, Deuteronomy 2.10, 9.2, 1 Samuel 17.4. A lot of this refers to um, giants or just enemy nations that are strong. They are tall. They They are formidable. And so God sees, okay, if this is what you think is good, this is what you think is powerful, then fine. Even down to the physical details, God gives them exactly what they want. And it's not just the physical details, which is going to be interesting enough for us to see, um, but even his character and his obliviousness, if that's a word, uh, to who God is as his Lord and Savior. And so in verse 3, um, one day Kish's donkey straight away, and he told Saul, his son, take a servant with you and go look for donkeys. Okay, so once again, we can see Saul has not a lot of jobs, but he's clearly unfit to be a proper shepherd. He can't really take a good look for donkeys, and if you don't know, donkeys don't usually stray away very far. <laughs> donkeys are very easy to take care of. They usually stake around people. And so even this simple job, he can't lead well. It really is a foreshadowing that Saul can't lead even these donkeys, and yet he's going to lead a nation of people. And we can see he's going to lead a nation of people who do go astray. And um, he is not a good shepherd, which is going to be in stark contrast to David, Because David, we know, is an excellent shepherd and laid his life down for his sheep. And so that's a foreshadowing to later (laughs) where God does choose a nobody and makes him king, but he has the right heart and the right character. So that's God choosing his king instead of allowing the people to get what they exactly want. And a lot of times in our lives, This does happen to us, this trap, where we think we really know what's right. We think we know, oh, this is exactly how I want it to be. God, if you will do it my way instead of your way, then I will be successful and I will be able to know what is right in my life. And so when we look in the mirror here, we can clearly see that just because we think we're so smart and we think we know what we're doing is right, It doesn't mean that we're going to be successful in the long term. And this is something that's so hard for me and I'm sure hard for you too. But trusting God for the long term instead of instinctively thinking that we really know what's best. And so let's keep going in the story here. And we see down in verse 6. Um, this is after Saul decides, you know what? It's been such a long time. Couldn't find the donkeys. Let's just go back, okay? Haven't found them, right? So he fails, obviously. Uh, in verse 6, uh, the servant says to Saul, Hey, I've just thought of something. 
there's a man of God who lives in this town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul said. Even our food is gone, and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. And we'll just take a quick pause there. And here, once again, we can see the character of Saul. And what's the character of Saul? He doesn't really care about the word of God. He is not interested in who God is. He's not interested in a personal relationship with God. All he's interested in is a contractual agreement with a higher power. Now, how do we know that? Well, the servant clearly said in verse 6 that there is a man here who all Israel knows. So, if everyone in Israel knows that Samuel is this amazing man of God, why wouldn't Saul know? Clearly, Saul would have to be ignorant enough or even just choosing to neglect to partake in spiritual conversations. Because if the whole nation knew about Samuel and he didn't, it clearly tells us that Saul did not even want to care. And here we can see that when there's a problem, who's the one that wants to go really see the Lord? It's the servant. It's not Saul. Saul never once thought about going to ask the Lord for help. And we're going to see that throughout Saul's life, when there's continual problems, Saul does not consult God first. He wants to do things his way. He wants his success his way. And then even in verse 7, um, Saul thought that all these interactions with God should be contractual. If I give something to God, then he can respond to me. He had no idea about who God was because he would have known that throughout the whole story of the Bible so far, <laughs> when God wants something done, he doesn't require or ask payments or specific um, sacrifices to be done. When you are in need of help, you can come to God whenever you want to. And God would speak to you and be there with you and for you. And, you know, in our life, too, we do get sucked into this, into this same situation. We get sucked into the concept where, oh, well, if only I could do X for God, then he would respond to me. And this can be a really challenging thing for us because a lot of times if we choose to, let's say, volunteer or help someone who is in need, we may have this concept that by doing this nice work in the name of God, then God should bless me in return. And that is completely not how God works. <laughs> uh, it's not that simple, right? We should want to do good things out of our heart because of the grace of Jesus, because of who God is and because of the gifts and the majesty that God is. It should stir our hearts 
to want to just overflow in generosity to those around us. It shouldn't just be a pure contract where, oh, I want God to help me at my work, so therefore, I'm going to volunteer some of my time to help the needy. That's not going to happen. God's going to see right through that, and it's not really going to mean much to God. And this is exactly the kind of person that Saul was, and this was his theology. And this is why proper theology is really important for you and for me. Because if we don't have the right theology, then all of our interactions around us are going to be flawed. And when they're flawed, we're going to face problems, and then we're going to become bitter and angry, and then we're just going to create a, a hole in our life where we're just going to sink lower and lower and lower. And that is not what God wants for you and for me. And so when we now go further in the story, we're going to go in um, verse 17 in chapter 9 here. And this is what it says. When Samuel saw Saul, that's like a tongue twister, right? When Samuel saw Saul, (laughs) the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. And this is a this is a Hebrew word play here. And I'm going to bring it up because it is important for you and for me. Now, the word rule here, um, I can't say it in Hebrew. My Hebrew isn't that great, especially pronunciation-wise. But the word that was translated rule can also mean to restrain or hold or hinder or even imprison. And the core meaning is to restrain something or constrict something. And this is actually the only time in the whole Bible um, where the, the translation in a lot of English Bibles is to rule. Other times it's holding back or suggesting um, imprisonment or silencing somebody, something to that degree. And so what God is telling Saul, Samuel here is, hey, there's this guy Saul, and he is the one who is going to, you could say, govern the people, but in a way where you're restraining them or you're, you're holding them in a way to have them move in a certain direction. Because we all know that governments, they impose laws, they impose rules so that we don't just go crazy, right? We need laws and rules, otherwise humanity crumbles. But in this situation, it's a, it's a double entendre because this person is the one who's supposed to lead, but also he is not going to do a great job because of his character, because of his apathy towards his relationship with God. And, you know, this, this is a, a method where God is punishing the people because of their decision to distance themselves from God. God is allowing Saul to be used and knows what Saul's going to do. He knows how it's not going to go well, but he's using Saul as a way to say, fine, this is what you want. You're going to live with the consequences. And so for us, Like I was mentioning earlier, when we choose what we want to do our way, sometimes those things that we want do come back to bite us. 
they stop us from living our true life that God has for us. And it's sad to see what happens. You know, and a lot of times, you know, if if we decided to, that our job is more important than our relationship with God and we sacrifice everything for a job and and it ends up slowly destroying our life, well, that's what you wanted. And God is going to allow that to happen. And there's tons more examples than just that, but um, you can clearly see how if you let some area of your life take control, then it's going to slowly constrict your real relationship with God and slowly suck the life out of all different areas of your life. So we do have to be careful, and this is a great example with Saul, that we must consult the Lord first and always, and we must have the right view of who God is Otherwise, we're going to drive ourselves out of the promised land. And so God tells Samuel, this is the guy that they want. The people will like him, but it will cause trouble. And so in chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Now, in Egyptian culture, it was custom to anoint these vassal kings, um, you know, minor kings who, who have allegiance to the pharaoh, for example, um, with some sort of oil. And so this kind of same concept is going on here. God is still in control of Israel. God will not give up control of Israel. He is the one true king. But he is allowing Saul to be his vassal, where he can act in a way that would represent him. And we do know so far in the story that we don't expect a good thing to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, Saul is doomed to represent God because he doesn't even know who the, who the, who the true king is. You know, in Egyptian culture, right? The vassal kings would have to know the pharaoh. They'd have to spend time in the pharaoh's court. They'd have to understand who he is, what he wants. And then they would become the vassal king so they could carry out the duties well. Well, Saul had spent basically no time understanding who God was. And, you know, we, we just know that it's not going to go well. But the great thing about God is that even though God knows it's not going to go well, God still tries to work with Saul. And this is one thing that we just love about the heart of God, is that God knows all the times we're going to screw up. God knows we're not going to do right. But God is still going to give us a chance, and he's still going to put his trust in us. And we see in, in verse 9 in chapter 10, that as Saul started to leave, God gave him a new heart and all of Samuel's signs that were foretold to confirm that God had done what he said he was going to do were fulfilled that day. And so God gave Saul this new heart because even though God knew he wasn't going to be great, wasn't going to be the best king or even a good king, to be honest, 
he still loved the people of Israel. He still loved Saul. And so he still had to do something because he was the one true king. And this is so encouraging for you and so encouraging for me because no matter what happens in our life, no matter how many times you know, we, we may make a misstep or, or how far away it seems we are, we have to know that God still cares and that God still has a great future and plan for us and that God will work with us no matter where we are. And so what happens then is Samuel takes all the people and in verse 17 in chapter 10, he calls them to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. It's ironic and it's intentional because God allowed them to meet there because they were going to cause themselves harm by choosing a king for themselves. So, you know, God is a really just uses irony so much throughout all of his stories to see how foolish the people are. And when we get so focused on our own thing, we really miss out what God has going on around us. We miss the irony that God is doing. We can, if we just take a step back, we can really see so clearly that um, what we're doing is foolish. And here God is showing them that this is foolish, but no one is listening. This is why it's really important for us to have some friends around us who are really um, spiritually uh, aware so they can help us. And what happens is Samuel brings the people out tribe by tribe and does lots. This is in verse 20, 21, 22. Um, he brings out each family one by one. And then after each lot, they find the tribe of Benjamin and then the family of uh, the Matrites are chosen, and Saul, son of Kish, is chosen from among them. And what's really interesting here is, once again, here comes irony. The only time so far we have seen a method like this, tribe by tribe, people by people, is when Achan from Joshua 7 had stolen the silver and it hidden it in an act of rebellion against God. And so this is the only time we see the same method. And so God is giving us a wink, right? Like, hey, they want Saul? Well, okay. You know, Achan was, would cause problems for Israel, and this guy Saul is going to cause problems for Israel as well. Um, but of course Saul isn't there, right? Because where is Saul? Saul continuously ignores and removes himself from the presence of God. He's hiding amongst the baggage on the outside of the, the camps there. And is this really the person that they want to lead themselves? Is someone who is so distant from God? Whether it was intentional, whether it was in, whether he was hiding or whether he just didn't really care, it doesn't say. But we do know that he wasn't there. And what we do know is this is consistent with the character of Saul. That Saul doesn't consult the Lord. That Saul isn't where the Spirit of the Lord is. He's nowhere to be seen. Now, we see in chapter 11, 
that uh, Saul is successful in his military campaigns, just the same as some non-believing nations are. And this, once again, goes to show us that just because you are successful in things you do does not mean that you are faithful to God. And we really can see this in some of the language that is clearly being used. In chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. Now what we see here, it looks like the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and is with him during this fight. Now, when we really kind of dive deep into what's going on here, we can really get some great points for our life and for those around us. It specifically says in here in the Hebrew that the Spirit of God, and they use the word Elohim, they don't use the word Yahweh or the Lord. They use a more broad term for God. And so far, through from Genesis all the way up to 2 Kings, we can see that there are five Israelites who are mentioned as having the Spirit of the Lord, that's using the word Yahweh, that come over them. But throughout Genesis all the way to 2 Kings, the only person who had the Spirit of God come over him was Balaam, who was a non-Israelite. That was in Numbers 24.2. So what we can see here is that God will use people, even who aren't so faithful followers, to accomplish his will. And I think this is a great example how there are people who can become so successful without having the proper relationship with God, but God can still be using that for what he wants to happen. Saul had a very weak relationship with God, a very poor theological understanding of God, of the character of God. But, but God decided to still use that. So the God still gave him inspiration, still gave him an ability to do something successful and something good. But it doesn't have that same personal touch that it does um, with other people who had a stronger and more robust relationship with the Lord. And so... This is why I think it's encouraging for, for you and for me that we shouldn't let the success of other people really get to our hearts and upend it. It can be really tempting and it can be really dangerous for us to see people who are successful, even with a weak faith or a weak uh, theological understanding, and see how successful they are and, 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 and tell it that it's God's doing. Because God can use any human in any way that he wants to on the planet. And just because God is doing that does not mean that God's favor is there. It does not mean they have the right relationship with God. All it means is that God is doing something. And we should see what God is doing. And, you know, we, we can see that this is quite explicit. Um, in chapter 13, verse 1, and most of our Bibles will say this. It'll say, 
Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. That's what most Bibles will say. The literal translation would be something like, Saul was the son of a year, so basically one-year-old, when he became king, and he ruled over Israel two years. So that's what it really says, but a lot of people, especially translators, um, adjust it and, and, and change it to 42 years, um, especially because of Acts chapter 13, verse 21, um, where it says uh, some dates for how long Saul was king. So the author of this chapter may not have made a mistake. What they may have meant was that the favor of the Lord was only with Saul for two years as he was king. Because obviously, what happens later in the story, which we'll go over to at a different time, is that Saul forfeits his favor with God as king and gets rejected. So really, he reigns two years with God's favor before he messes it up. I mean, for us in our life, we really have to see that if we do go away from being in a right relationship with God, we're going to forfeit what he's given us. And that should warn us. It should be, hey, we have to do what is right because we want to keep our relationship with God. And so we're going to continue more of this story next time. Um, I mean, Saul's a really funny guy. But we do have to really take some good warnings here from the story of Saul. We need to have the right theology. We need to understand who God is. And we cannot let our jealousy get the best of us so that we end up bringing down our own kingdom and succumbing to our own selfish desires. So there's hope for us because obviously God is always working and all God wants us to do is listen and follow and seek him first in all we do. So thanks for listening today and we'll see you next time for more King Saul in our next episode.